always have to do things the same way, and I, um, I enjoy that. Uh, you find that when you, um, you get older, you have a tendency to, um, <laughs> well, you do have a tendency, y'all just do, do uh, with that whatever you would like, but I appreciate it. Good to see such a good group today, and I hope that you're, I hope that you're not confused because uh, actually the preaching schedule called for um, two one-off sermons before we get back into Joshua, and so Pastor Garner did one last week, and so it really worked out well because he had to be gone this week, so I'll do the second one. And then uh, I think I can promise you that next week uh, he'll be back and we'll be back in Joshua. So it's good to see you guys, Nate. It's good to see you guys back in town. Uh, Why don't you go ahead, if you would, and uh, find the book of Philippians. And when you find the book of Philippians, turn to chapter 4. Uh, Miss Delisa, these, these lights are bright for me. And so if you will, uh, stand and we're going to read... From the fourth chapter of Philippians, verses 1 through 9. And here's what we find. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, And I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Thank you, and please be seated. As believers, we have a goal in life, and that goal is to be used by the Lord. Uh, I believe Rick mentioned this morning that our lives are not our own because we have been bought with a great price. We have an obligation to serve. We're not ready if we're not standing firm in the Lord. Steadfastness. We're not ready if we don't have joy and peace in the Lord. Because without those things, we will be tossed to and fro every day. Life just simply beats us down. But Paul is going to help us this morning. He says in verse 1, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, we have the therefore to begin verse 1, which means something has gone on before that. And so let me just go right back up to the last four verses in chapter 3. He says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even with weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So a contrast here with the lost being described in verses 18 and 19 and believers in verses 20 and 21. And so that brings us to therefore, Paul tells us in verse 1, Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Be steadfast. Same thing. God could have saved us 
and immediately taken us home to be with him. But he chose to leave us here for a while. He has a purpose for us here. We're to live the life and be a witness to the lost. Being steadfast allows us to be used for that very purpose. We cannot be used. We are ineffective when we are not steadfast in the Lord. We're tossed to and fro. We allow life to beat us down because life becomes a, a, a never-ending succession of problems that consume our time and our energy. And we are ineffective for the gospel because we allow all of our problems to turn us inward. The goal of our life is to be Christ-like. And when our lives here are finished, to see him face to face. Paul loved these people. And out of that love came joy. In fact, the theme of the letter is joy. Paul's joy was seeing their salvation, their spiritual growth, and the climax when one day they would be all together in the presence of the Lord. And I've stated to you before that we don't hear much about reward. And here in verse 1, Paul says that these believers are his joy and crown. Paul ministered to people in the name of the Lord for the furtherance of the gospel. The Holy Spirit bore fruit from that. So he says, you are my crown, not the crown of the king, but rather of achievement. Reward. This is not a selfish thing. It is a God thing. It's God's design. So these believers in Philippi were Paul's joy, his reward. And he says, so stand firm in the Lord. Now that's in contrast to those he's just described in verses 18 and 19 in chapter 3. And in verse 21, in view of the coming resurrection, stand firm in the Lord. Be steadfast, because any other place is not a secure place to stand. And so, having made an appeal to his Christian brothers and sisters in Philippi to stand firm in the Lord, Paul turns his attention to verse 2. And there's a conflict here. He says, let's do 2 and 3 together. He says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrades, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, 
whose names are in the book of life. Euodius, in the King James, is a masculine name, which is incorrectly interpreted. Euodia is a woman, as we see in verse 3. So, Euodia and Syntyche are being urged in verse 2 to live in harmony in the Lord. We're not told the cause of the conflict, but there was a problem between these two women in the fellowship. The NIV says that Paul is pleading with them to agree with each other in the Lord. In the King James, it says, be of the same mind in the Lord. And although we're not told what the specific problem was, there was no doubt sinful flesh involved. Or they would not, or they would have been in harmony with each other. Maybe pride, maybe selfish ambition. And it's, it's curious because Paul gives the names of these two women, and he also names another man in the fellowship, Clement. But at the beginning of verse 3, Paul makes an appeal for an individual in the fellowship to help resolve this conflict. And we're not told who that individual is. The person is not called by name. But we are given some other information in verse 3, which is important. Paul says that Euodia and Syntyche have shared in Paul's struggle in the cause of the gospel, and with Clement also. And we have the true comrade, and Paul says, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. You know that there is the book of life. Let me read you a, a passage from the book of Revelation. And so we have a we have a great thing here with the book of life. But there's also a very sober reality here. Uh, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And I want you to understand that this is what we know is the great white throne judgment. We do not stand as believers in the great white throne judgment. We will be there. We will have glorified bodies. We've already appeared before the mercy seat of Christ. We've been given our rewards in this life. The great white throne judgment is for the lost. And so this is what the Apostle John writes. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. 
And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. A sober reality. A sober reality. And it's wonderful that all of these people in verse 3 are heaven bound. But we have the great responsibility to live the life and to be a witness that Jesus saves. Paul is not scolding. He is urging Euodia and Syntyche to reconcile and to live in harmony with the Lord. And let me say to you that it is inconsistent with the word of God for two believers to be at odds with each other because they are in Christ. How we think is the issue. We have a battle for the mind, and we'll come back to that. But in short, are we selfish? Or are we selfless? Is our life characterized by pride or humility? And so here's the last statement on verse 3. Two people who are right with the Lord are right with each other. So we have this admonition in verse 1 to be steadfast. And a conflict in verse 2. And then Paul writes this in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, one could say that Paul is done with the conflict in verse 2, or one could view the rest of the passage as the cure for the ill in verse 2. We all want to have joy in our lives. We all want to have peace in the midst of an unstable world. And Paul is going to tell us how to get that. To rejoice in the Lord or to be joyful, same thing, is part of being steadfast. But how quickly we tend to be victimized by our circumstances in life. We're 
We're joyful one day and we're despondent the next. We're joyful or not depending on how our lives are unfolding day to day, our circumstances. And by the way, when Paul wrote this, he was a prisoner. What a great testimony of steadfastness. So our circumstances, you know, is my job going well? If I'm married, am I having a good day with my spouse? Is my health good? Did my car break down? Did I discover that my roof leaks? And a thousand other things. But they are all just circumstances in life. They should have nothing to do with our joy in the Lord. Because if they do... When those days come where everything just seems to unravel, we're not joyful. But verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. We're not standing on the promises of God. So, we need to realize that what we possess as believers in the Lord is unchanging. They're steadfast. They are certain. They are secure. And if I'm looking at life on any given day with or from that perspective, then joy comes forth. And so we'll see that our mind, our thought processes are the key, that there are spiritual disciplines involved here. Joy comes from the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is not man-made. And you find that it not only drives out arguments and disagreements, but it's contagious. So Paul is saying, stand firm in the Lord, live in harmony with each other, always be rejoicing in what the Lord has done for you, and then verse 5, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, and then he says, the Lord is is near. So we have this word forbearing. Uh, in the New American Standard Bible, uh, moderation in the King James, gentleness in the NIV. And the bottom line is that the Greek word used here is absolutely impossible to find one word in the English language that will describe what the original Greek is trying to say. So we look at a lot of different terms, and, and I'm thinking that maybe at least a good one would be the word gracious. 
We're not bitter. We don't retaliate when we've been wronged. And if we look at a forbearing spirit in that way, it would have application to the conflict that we had back in verse 2. A good reference would be Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So, we have this forbearing spirit toward everyone. And then the statement, the Lord is near. Now, Paul could certainly have the rapture of the church in mind here. If we go back to the last two verses that I read in chapter 3, uh, uh, we eagerly wait for Jesus to come because this world is not our home. We're going to receive a glorified body or maybe if we're not, if we're not alive at the rapture, we go to see him through physical death. But in both cases, we're in the presence of the Lord. We're face to face with Jesus. And we know being in his presence literally is what we should long for. And if this is the case, then certainly it will greatly influence us to be steadfast in the Lord. Verse 1 Rejoice, verse 4, have a forbearing spirit, verse 5. And I stated earlier that there are spiritual disciplines involved here. And so we see in verse 6, prayer. Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And I came to the realization at some point in the past in my life that God cared about everything that concerns me, no matter how trivial it may be. And so it changed the way that I pray what I pray for. If I was concerned or anxious about something, verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing but in everything pray. And it was a game changer for me. And it's not about being self-centered in prayer. And I'll come back to that. But I found that when I I began to share everything about my day. Things that, that seemed so trivial that I realized everything that had transpired that day, in fact, I needed to share with him. And what else I found was that as I recapped the day, there were so many things to be thankful for. There were sins to be confessed. And there were situations where I needed understanding and I needed guidance.
guidance. And I'll tell you this morning that prayer is awesome. Our Heavenly Father is concerned with every facet of our lives. As we go through our day, our minds need to be continually prayerful. Something good happens and you say, thank you, Jesus, that's prayer. Something comes along that we need help with, a problem or a temptation, and we say, help me, Jesus, that's prayer. That's prayer. And so, what about not being selfish or self-centered in our prayers? Well, it brings us to another spiritual discipline, and that's being in the Word. Because, first off, the more that we know about the Word, the better our prayer life will be because we know how to pray in accordance with His will. And that is effective prayer. And what we learn from the Word is that life is not about us. Life is about serving other people. And so when we ponder our prayer life, it should have personal concern. But I would say to you that the personal concerns should be the smallest percentage of our total prayer life. We should be able to see in our mind's eye that our prayer life is by far centered on others and not ourselves. So then we have verse 7. It says, In the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, we've seen steadfastness and joy, and now we add peace. Verse 7 is the result of verse 6. This is more than peace with God, Romans 5, 1. All believers have peace with God. That peace comes at the moment of salvation when we were justified in His sight. The peace of God comes to a child of God that trusts and prays. A believer can have can have, does have peace with God, a believer can have, does have peace with God without having the peace of God. Peace with God describes the state between the believer and God. The peace of God describes the condition within the believer. 
We may not have it, but it's always available. And the peace of God surpasses all power of human reasoning or comprehension. It is a supernatural thing. And we see in verse 7, again being the result of verse 6, that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's plan for our salvation came through the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is also our great high priest. When we pray, our great high priest makes intercession for us to the Father. He pleads our case before the throne of God. So, what about, what about answer to prayer? Now, I, I know this next thing you guys have all heard before. We're to be anxious for nothing, right? Prayerful for everything. We're to be thankful for anything. Not only thankful for who God is and what he's done for us, but thankful for whatever answer or provision that our prayers bring. The answer to prayer is not the issue. Paul doesn't say that whatever the request is, the need or the concern that God will answer with what we have in mind. The issue is peace. Whatever the answer might be, whenever it comes, peace comes with it. So, in verse 8, we have the battle for the mind, and I'm running out of time. The battle for the mind, let's, let's go to the end of verse 8 and say that let your mind dwell on these things. And so he says, whatever is true. Now, one could say a lot about the word true. Uh, I think a good summation would be that whatever is true can be found in the word of God. And so we need to be in the word. We need to study it. Remember, there's disciplines involved. And the truth that we find, let your mind dwell on what you find. He says, whatever is honorable, uh, worthy of respect, worship is honorable. Whatever is right or righteous, uh, a lot like the truth, those things that are in harmony with the Word of God. Whatever is pure, it's clean, it's not defiled, it's usually used to be morally clean. Whatever is lovely, things that are, are again about the forbearing spirit, things that are gracious, uh, maybe generous, patient. Whatever is of good repute, things that are uh, admirable, 
things that are highly regarded, well thought of, anything that is excellent, worthy of praise, focus on these things. So Paul is coming to a conclusion here. It's, it's, it's climax. It's the battle for the mind. And so to state it to you in a negative way, let me say that it's a matter of the bad influences that we let in or the right ones that we simply don't practice. We must cultivate the right mindset. We have to protect our mind.